back at it again. It's a can't stop, won't stop situation. NFL Draft Bible Radio 2018 style. Oh, Destination Dallas edition. All right, seeing a place to be. Rick Sauer, Teletona, like it is when it comes to the NFL Draft. NFLDraftBible.com. We're on fire over there. Bringing you the names you need to know for since 2002. It's what we do. Go check it out. At NFL Draft Bible. We've been bringing you the hardcore analysis. Can't stop, won't stop style. Nobody, I mean nobody, breaks it down like the gentleman I'm about to welcome on to the show. But before I get to that situation, oh, I'm waking up in New Jersey. It's not too bad compared to if I was waking up in Cleveland. Because if I was waking up in Cleveland... I would be none too happy about the situation. Another mistake by the lake. When does it ever end? When does it ever end? It's the nosebleed that will never stop bleeding. It's the nosebleed we cannot clog. And guess what, John Dorsey? You better have it right, Buster. You better have it right. Because when you take Baker Mayfield number one overall, and we talked about this on yesterday's podcast, when you put that much stock into the number one overall pick with all these other better options, you better have it right, Buster. You want to overlook the height? Fine. You want to overlook the hand size? You want to overlook... The fact that his accuracy goes way down when the pocket collapses. And, yes, I know, he's an improviser. He extends plays. But guess what? In the NFL, you've got to be somewhat of a pocket pass. There's a lot of work to be done here. Did I mention the footwork? This is a player far away from being ready to start at the next level. And you just used your number one overall pick. On Baker Mayfield. Not only that, coming back around again, number four. I'm I'm staring at Bradley Chubb in my face, and I'm gonna go take a five foot nine corner. No disrespect, to Denzel Ward, but I'm looking at guys like a Joshua Jackson, like a Carlton Davis, who I very well could have had. To start off round two. And we talked about cornerback being the deepest position. So why would you pass up Bradley Chubb? Why would you pass up all these other quarterbacks? John Dorsey, you're on the hot seat. (laughs) And that's my rant to open up today's show. Brought to you by Pressure Sportswear. Check them out, PressureSportswear.com. You can't see it through the phone, but they're just loading me up with the Hot to death gear. I'm so excited because it got me through the day. <laughs> it's a can't stop, won't stop situation. Rick Saratella here, you there. NFL Draft Bible Radio is in full effect. We got a jam packed show down the next couple hours leading up to the draft. And to do that, we're going to welcome in the stars of the show. Whoo! First off, we've got uh, John Murphy, assistant director 
uh, assistant general manager, director of player personnel for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, someone who has been with the NFL Draft Bible familiar since the inception in 2002. He's going to join us on this open NFL Draft Day 2 roundtable discussion, along with Joe Everett, the executive director of college football scouting for the NFL Draft Bible. In addition to Justin Gamble, who we missed yesterday, our co-director of scouting here at the NFL Draft Bible. And gentlemen, rev up the engines because we're going to break it all down for the people now. That's what we do. And we're going to recap day one. We're going to preview day two. We're going to prime everybody up, get the WD-40, get a fresh tank of oil, get some fresh gasoline in the tank. If you're Stone Temple Pilots, get the Vaseline because this is going to be a nonstop, action-packed show. And with that being said, you know, we're going to throw around some topics. And, you know, let's start it off. You know, Justin, I'm looking at you, my man, because we missed you yesterday. I'm going to give you the floor first and just, you know, any reaction to my thoughts on the Cleveland Browns since I got it going that way. <laughs> Dude, I, Christmas came and went, bro. It did not. It, I mean, it delivered. And I like how – I know you're serious today because that Jersey accent came out in full force. And that's when I know things are things are about to get crazy. I mean, John Dorsey drafting the two 5'11 kids – or well, all right, Baker's almost six one, whatever. But you know those two are going to walk into the locker room, and the whole rest of the team is going to, you know, look at like who are these high schoolers? i last night, dude. Rashad Penny going round one, Terrell Edmonds going round one. Some of the things that I witnessed last night, I am I'm never going to unsee. And Baker Mayfield going number one. I mean, we heard the rumors yesterday about it, but to be honest with you, I didn't think that was really going to happen. And I, I mean, whew. You look at Baker Mayfield and you say, "What's his real game that we have? What's what's the best tape we have to evaluate this kid?" And I mean, he you know butchered a bunch of Big Twelve defenses for two years, for three years. But then he goes to play Georgia, and I mean that game it just looked like a nightmare for him. And somehow Dorsey says, "This is the guy." Not only are we taking round one, but we're gonna take him at number one overall, and then we're gonna go get a five eleven. 180-pound cornerback with our number four overall pick instead of Bradley Chubb. Yeah, I believed in John Dorsey prior to this draft. I thought he had his head on straight, but I don't know, man. After last night, I just can't, you know, I can't make sense of anything that went down. That's Justin Gamble. You can follow him on Twitter at Gamscout. And we're going to go over to John Murphy now since he is a decision maker up there for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders of the CFL has been involved with player personnel for a long time. John, I got to say, Mr. Dorsey, very well respected within the scouting community. And you know what? Maybe the mainstream media rushing it off to the side a little bit because he is so well respected. And John, we trust. And John Dorsey, he is somebody who knows what he's doing. He surrounded himself with all these great talent evaluators and scouts. But am I am I missing the mark here, John? Well, I mean, you, you you know, at least when you saw them making their selections, it it certainly didn't seem like they were hesitant at all, uh, you know, in their decision making. You know, you saw their room; there was no chance they were trading one, and uh, they came back and you know rather quickly, which I thought was a you know for sure sign that it was then at four, uh, you know, going to be Chubb just based off of how quickly you then saw that with all the talk of teams wanting potentially to move to that spot. 
uh, you know, that they, you know, immediately had that card pretty, you know, pretty quickly available. You know, so, hey, if they're going to come out and say, you know, that it's the Cleveland Browns and, uh, you know, what they walked into there and have pretty much cleaned house, you know, in terms of from the scouting department uh, to the quarterback room, uh, you know, they're trying to leave no remnants of what's gone on there in the last couple of years other than Hugh Jackson, who's getting a pass, you know, temporarily. Hey, yeah, I, I get it. I understand Baker Mayfield's a game changer in terms of the type of player that you brought in there before. You're not buying into the the hype of other guys having, you know, better pedigree or more game ready or worried about, you know, hand size and, and things like that. I understand from a point of view of saying, hey, when you're as bad as they've been, maybe you can throw out all of those things you mentioned in the sense of, hey, when they haven't done that, they've figured out a way to select the wrong guy. So now if you figure that this guy's intangibles and, and just the way that he's going to be, you know, worked into the lineup, that you're not throwing him in there next year, that for all intents and purposes he's going to get, you know, at least a full year to sit and develop in a system that's made for both him and the starting quarterback, Tyrod Taylor, and look at what they've surrounded him with. So there is an opportunity in 2019, you know, for them to have, uh, you know, a good nucleus of running backs, you know, a third-year tight end who seems like he's on the come up, Landry, Josh Gordon, potentially, if he can stay healthy and, you know, stay on the straight and narrow there. Hey, that's, you know, now you're starting to look at an offense that would not need Baker Mayfield to be the, the, the sole-on playmaker, and he could potentially – you know, look at a division that at that point in time, you know, hey, Cincinnati with their quarterback situation, you know, we saw Baltimore address their long-term quarterback situation, you know, uh, later in the first round, you know, and then Pittsburgh is still to be determined. I get I get the idea with the first pick, you know, with the fourth pick, you know, the only explanation without hearing it from them is, okay, we have Miles Garrett, we have – you know, a little bit of a pass rush that we saw last year. You know, we're okay at linebacker, and now we just have nobody at the type of level of cover guy that Denzel Ward is. So, hey, great if we had two pass rushers, then we have a pass rush and still nobody to cover. So are they doing it to kind of even out their roster and then come back here in the second round and, and possibly select you know, another guy to, to, to kind of offset, like if they came back and took Landry here, you know, with one of their two picks that they have in the first five, is that a better combination than what's left? It would make it an interesting conversation that you can only have because it's hindsight. If they knew the cornerback run was not going to actually start pretty much at all and that the DBs that were left on the board for them to pick you'd have to say that most people would agree that the best two or three DBs to choose from right now are better than the top two or three pass rushers. Maybe they select Bradley Chubb if they felt that the DB run was going to start a lot earlier, like most of us did, and it never did. Because the teams were smart that wanted a DB, and Tampa utilized the ability to drop back when it wasn't there. Seattle traded you know, out of there, you know, when it wasn't there, you know, it's so the teams that wanted DBs were able to sit there and get them at a much different place in time. And then, like I said, I think you would agree that the, the better DBs 
are still on the board versus pass rushers, you know, versus the run that, you know, happened with tight ends and wide receivers, you know, and stuff like that. So I think it'd be interesting to now see if Cleveland had their choice again, knowing what you see now after the first round, would they have preferred to take the pass rusher, you know, there at four, knowing that there were going to be better DBs than was expected, uh, you know, to be sitting there. Because you saw that the other teams that were there, at, at, you know, after them. Denver had opportunities to make a deal, you know, said, nope, Bradley Chubb's too good to pass up. Indianapolis had opportunities to make a trade, said, nope, Quentin Nelson, too good to pass up. And the same thing with the Bears, nope, you know, don't want to listen to anything, you know, Roquan Smith. And those are three guys that I think are plug-and-play players that could be three or four of the the cleanest guys you could get, Chubb, Nelson, uh, you know, and Roquan Smith. There's no question about any of their, you know, their issues. There's no medical on those guys. There's no question what, you know, part of the lineup they can go in and fill for their teams. And then I think right after that is when you saw, again, you know, sort of, uh, you know, from the Raiders, you know, the Raiders pick, you know, until the Saints made their trade, you had kind of a flurry of action of guys that weren't really expected to go to those specific teams, which allowed then, like I said, the DBs to kind of fall to the later part of the teens and into the 20s, which left it open for, like I said, uh, you know, prime opportunity. If you're looking for a DB here at the beginning of round two and the Browns have two selections, the Colts have two selections, they have three overall in this round, it, it, it could be a very long second round tonight for clubs trading around again. That's John Murphy. You can follow him on Twitter at draft. JM13, uh, one of the best follows. Actually, all these guys are just great follows during the draft analysis, and we'll be breaking it down live analysis over on the Twitterverse at NFL Draft Bible as well. Let's go over to Joe Everett. You can follow him at Joe W. Everett. And, Joe, uh, I want to shift gears and transition off of the topic. I mean, I'm still baffled by the fact that. You would not want to line up Bradley Chubb opposite of Miles Garrett because we do know after the quarterback getting after the quarterback is the next most important aspect of the game. But uh, now that we've kind of had a 20 hours or so to reflect on this first round, uh, what did you like last night? What didn't you like last night? Give us a little uh, perspective from the Joe Everett uh, goggles. Hey, uh, I'm picking up where you guys left off. I'm a Broncos fan, so we ran to the podium to go get Bradley Chubb. That's what I would have done. <laughs> and I'm just, like I said, the, I think John nailed it. The the Browns tried to get ahead of the run or, or start the run of cornerbacks, and it just didn't really materialize like they thought. So too bad for them. Uh, so sad, Browns. I'm I'm fired up as a Broncos fan. I mean, having both those uh, pass rushing presences, I'm not – sure exactly how Chubbs fit, but he's too good a football player not to make that work. So, uh, yeah, I'm just smiling ear to ear. Uh, as soon as that happened, I mean, uh, line up the drinks. We're all doing shots. Go Broncos. So uh, that, that's out of the way. Um, Seahawks, they got a good player, but at what cost there? That that just still stays in my mind almost over anything. That I love Rashad Penny now. 
And yes, he's a good kick returner, but look at their roster. They've already got a good kick returner. They've got, I thought backs that they were kind of high on him. From what I saw Chris Carson last year, and even when Mike Davis got in there, I thought there was something to work with there that they didn't really need to go out and spend on a back like that. Yes, he's all three downs, and he's, boy, I've interviewed him. Great kid, great story. Uh, rooting for him hard, but <laughs> you couldn't wait to get a back. So, yeah. The, the Seahawks, they're definitely sticking out. And I think, uh, quietly, the Packers had a solid uh, – Gutekunst, his first round there as GM, that that was great. Trading out of where they were, getting a 2019 first-rounder. And sorry, Saints, I mean, I don't, forking over that third and the future 2019 first uh, for Marcus Davenport – uh, they must have a real clear plan in place to, to get him going. But I think the Packers made out like bandits in that trade, and they still get Jerry Alexander, who I think fits their scheme really well. This is, uh, I, I think, Green Bay, if you're a Packers fan, you're also just elated after day one because uh, you've, you've got assets now and, and you still addressed a need. I, I think, yeah, Packers. Real solid day one, and yeah, as a Broncos fan, man, I am still fist pumping. Uh, could not be happier to get Bradley Chubb in Denver. Lots of people praising the Green Bay Packers for the moves that they made, and I want to get some uh, perspective from the other side, and I'll go back over to John Murphy for that because he did spend a good chunk of his time uh, down there in the New Orleans community, has a finger on the pulse with the Saints, and John, it seems to be a lot of equity the Saints are, are, are giving up here for a Marcus Davenport, and you know, while we're on that, we'll, we'll take 14 and 15, let's do them together, because you know, yesterday's podcast, I asked you, who's a surprise first round pick? You hit the nail on the head with Colton Miller there at number 15 with John Gruden and the Raiders, UCLA offensive tackle. Uh, maybe not so much of a surprise going at number 15, but take those two picks for us there and put it into perspective. Davenport at 14 to the Saints and Miller uh, 15 to the Raiders. Yeah, I think the, the, the way that they've looked at these last couple of drafts is the, the scenario of once they know – that Drew Brees is going to play one last season and, and then be done. That's when the future in terms of at that position to put themselves in the position, you know, with the quarterback, I think that's when they're going to address that. That all got settled last night with how they did things and what they were thinking last year when they had the chance to get Kamara, who they rated as a top 20 player in the draft. They looked at this year's draft said, eh, you know, I don't think it's going to be as strong in the areas we're looking for. They made that move. Again, last night, they're in the same position. They don't have a number two. Their first-round pick next year, which everybody as of today is looking at it as a low 25 to 32 first-round pick, really is judged and graded if you're doing the trade chart as more of a second-round pick you know, today. So in their minds, hey, we're going to be a playoff-caliber team. We're expecting a draft 25 to 32. Here's a guy that we have, again, as a 10 or 15, you know, top 10 to 15 rated player on our board. Last year, we, we had an option, pass rusher or cover guy, took the cover guy, and then by time we tried to make the trade to come up to get a front seven guy, couldn't get it orchestrated, couldn't get it done, how to take Ramchek, which turned out to be good, and then traded for Kamara. 
This is their last element. If you look at Sheldon Rankins in an off defensive line that also has Cam, you know, uh, you know, Cam Jordan, and now you substitute this guy, you know, in there for the array of players that they tried last year, none of whom are household names that you have to pretend to block with the secondary that they produced last year and improved linebacker core, uh, you know, by adding Demario Davis, you know, to what they had, you know, Hey, you know, if you're feeling you're a guy away, if you're looking at the first half of that game against Minnesota and saying any one stop puts us in, you know, a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Well, then this is a trade that you have to make because, again, when you start rebuilding from scratch, when there is no Drew Brees, the good news is you're going to get three or four years of that starting quarterback making a low amount of money around the same time that Drew Brees is headed toward the sunset. Cam Jordan's not going to be too far behind. So you're going to be able to afford Kamara, the offensive lineman, you know, this kid that you just drafted, Sheldon Rankins, you know, Latimer, you know, you're going to be able to judge and juggle all those guys because the next thing on their agenda will probably be to find a guy for Mark Ingram because in all likelihood they'll use Ingram and Kamara this year and then move away from Ingram once he gets to free agency. So I think it's a clear show that they're all in. They know Atlanta's chasing them. They know what Carolina has in terms of ability to win 10 or 10 or plus games. And you have a feeling with all those young players in Tampa, one of these years Tampa's going to get it all right together and not turn the ball over and not miss field goals every time they try one. So I think that they're looking at it saying, hey, we're all in. If we're right, we're right, and we're in. And if for some reason the wheels fall off and we have a season like the Houston Texans last year, Hey, you know, it was not something we could have foreseen. And the only way that happens is to lose, you know, Drew Brees. And I think the other thing you have to look at is they're not a club that likes these tweener types that are so easily available. They don't like those tweener type pass rushers. They never draft them in the current Loomis and Jeff Ireland. These are guys that don't evaluate those players as highly as others. Maybe they got scared off by the injury, you know, to to Van Der Esch, which was a guy they kind of liked trading all the way up to get a 19-year-old kid. I don't think that was a guy that, you know, they were willing to make that type of move for. And I think they just saw last year that, hey, they tried to get ahead of that run. They tried to make that decision, took the corner, which turned out to be a great player, but they never could find a pass rusher until the later rounds. And you can't go into a season hoping that, you know, Trey Fredrickson uh, and the kid from the University of Miami last year that they took in the seventh round – you can't go in hoping that that guy can start opposite Cam Jordan and affect the play the way that you're expecting on passing downs to put in a, you know, an athletic, you know, freak like Marcus Davenport and say, hey, if you're just asking that guy to take, you know, 30 or 40% of the reps next year, he could be a highly, highly productive player for a team that thinks they're just one or two guys away. All right. John Murphy, Joe Everett. Justin Gamble, Rick Saratella here. So much information, draft information, that is. It'll uh, explode your cranium. So if you're a draft Nick aficionado and, and love the NFL draft, you're in the right place. Welcome to the big show. Uh, Justin, I'm going to go over to you for some of your other you know thoughts on the first round here, surprises and things of that nature. To me, you know, I think we we might have played the offensive line evaluation all wrong. 
maybe. I don't know. Uh, Justin, you you were correct with your Connor Williams assessment. You've been saying uh, for the last four months he's not a first-round guy. He falls out of the first round. A lot of people felt James Daniels from Iowa was the top center in the draft. And meanwhile, you know, I see a guy like Frank Ragno uh, from Arkansas, concussion history there, go number 20 overall. Billy Price, 21st to the Bengals. Uh, obviously the torn pectoral. And, you know, Marcus Davenport still on the board. Uh, you know, so the offensive line, the way that played out was a little bit surprising to me. Justin, a lot of surprises here on day one. What stood out to you? I think we, I mean, we put Colton Miller in our mock draft a long time ago, and I, I know we all kind of cringed at it, but, I mean, we nailed that because, you know, I, I figured Gruden, he stresses high-powered offenses. He wants his offenses to work a certain way. And I think Donald Penn is, what, 35? And I don't know – who I forget who else they have, David Sharp or – so, you know, that's – I don't know if he's suited to play left tackle when uh, Penn moves on wherever he goes or if he retires, whatever. You know, I think their O-line is kind of uh, – it's shaky. And so Miller was maybe a reach, but I think some of us saw that coming, just thinking, you know, that's the way Gruden wants to do things. I do feel like it's – you know, Miller's inconsistent. He hasn't – he has a body type that he's he's too tall for how much he weighs. He's only what three ten, and he's almost six nine or whatever. You know what I mean? So that was an interesting pick. I knew he was going to go in the first round, but I really felt like with so many premier defenders still on the board that the Raiders could have beefed up their defense. And I think that's hopefully what they'll do on day two today. But um, yeah, the offensive li- the offensive line was interesting, man. To see Will Hernandez drop, to see Isaiah Wynn go after Ragno and Price, who both are riddled with injuries. Uh, it's it's interesting. I I wish we knew more about how the NFL was viewing some of these guys, like what their process was, how they reached these conclusions. Because on the outside looking in, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I mean, I like what Joe said too about uh, uh, Green Bay. I mean, their their first year GM comes in. He's been with Green Bay for a while, but this is the first year as their GM. Trades back, gets the guy that he probably was going to pick at fourteen anyways. And acquires another first-round pick. I mean, that's a slam dunk. He absolutely nailed that. Um, in San Diego, I loved how they just completely let the board fall to them. They ended up getting a premier defender in this draft class with Derwin James, who can play so many different roles in their defense. Um, and they, you know, they waited all the way till shoot 17. And I mean, that that's just amazing value to me. Tennessee waited and ended up with Rashawn Evans, who I felt like was the top off-ball linebacker when he's healthy. Another gorgeous pick. Um, Pittsburgh. Let's talk about Pittsburgh because they take the set, they take the Edmonds brother, and you know his tape was good. I felt like he was a late second, early round pick based on his testing, based on a lot of the things he was able to do on tape, just being kind of the big freakish athlete that he is. But we still got Ronnie Harrison on the board. We still got Justin Reed on the board, and honestly, I'm not sure that you know, safety is Pittsburgh's biggest need. I think they have Sean Davis who has a similar skill set to what Terrell Edmonds has. Um, that pick right there, it's not going to make sense to me, you know, with their linebacking group with Shazier gone and them completely lacking athleticism. And it showed last year too, with them completely lacking speed and youth and athleticism and the ability to cover running backs and tight ends. That was such a head scratcher for me. I don't think that, 
is going to make sense regardless of what happens there, unless he becomes, you know, just a complete freak and dominates the league at that strong safety position. But right now, I, I don't understand it. Um, and I know the Cowboys pick was interesting to me because I know we talked about Leighton Vander S along the way. You know, me and Joe had said, I don't know if we see a first-round player with this guy, but I think this is a nice fit for him. Um, he's a great coverage guy. I mean, I tweeted out a little bit ago that he's a great coverage player. No one's disputing that. But I feel like when you see a guy who's 6'4", 250, you want a thumper, and you want someone that you know is going to take over and be physical, especially when you draft him in the first round. But I feel like on tape he played kind of slow. He wasn't very aggressive. However, he now gets to go learn with Sean Lee. Sean Lee is one of the best linebackers we've seen in a long time. You know what I mean? The guy is – when he's healthy, he's a top-five linebacker. And I think with that fit and Lee being his mentor, we might see Vander Esch become the guy that a lot of scouts and you know, NFL people were saying this guy's upside is. I mean, his upside is through the roof, obviously, the athleticism, the size. But I feel like this is the team and this is the fit that we might actually see him reach his full potential. So I think there was a lot of head-scratch picks, but I also think that some teams played this right. I think the teams that kind of let the board fall to them Green Bay and the Chargers, um, even Dallas. I think they did it right. But the offensive line, Rick, I'm with you. I, it doesn't make sense, and I don't think it will just based on our evaluations. And Isaiah Wynn, I feel like, probably is a better player than Ragno or uh, Price, but I guess I guess we'll wait and see. Baltimore, one last point. I want to, Baltimore is kind of – it's confusing to me, their, their moves. They pass up on Lamar Jackson with their first pick, which I understand – but then they draft a 25-year-old tight end who's not particularly dynamic. I mean, he's a good player, good pass catcher, solid athlete. You know, there's nothing wrong with Hayden Hurst. But I, their their team in general needs some dynamic athletes who can do more than just kind of be Flacco's safety blanket. I think Flacco has hit his ceiling. He's just a mediocre at best quarterback. And Hayden Hurst is going to kind of keep him there. Whereas I, I think they could have added more explosive anything to their offense, but you know they trade back or they trade back into the first round, pick Lamar Jackson. Obviously, he's not going to play a whole lot at first. They might have some packages and things for him, but um, I, I, you know, hopefully in a few years we'll see the Ravens kick back up and become something truly special and explosive. But for now, it just feels like they're two first round picks don't make a whole lot of sense, especially if they're in win-now mode because Flacco only has a few years left, three, four, five, I don't know. But with Lamar Jackson, you're, you're, that's your future. That's not now. If you're trying to get the most out of Flacco now, the Jackson pick doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> my, my favorite quote was you're going to get a Super Bowl out of me, Mr. Lamar Jackson. But, no, I agree with you. Uh, you could have just took Lamar Jackson at 25 and, and gotten Mike Gusecki today on day two and saved yourself trading some draft picks away. I agree with you with Light and Vander Esch. I think, you know, a lot of times the boom or bust players or, or, or the one-year wonders are boom or bust. I think he can really boom there in Dallas. And, and uh, you know, I do like that fit as well. And, and Derwin James, like you mentioned, I think – Outside of Josh Rosen, I think Derwin James was the best, second best value pick, and we're going to talk quarterbacks in a second. We'll get there, but first, I want to get your final thoughts on any other things. Uh, that was Justin Gamble. We're going to turn over to Joe Everett for his thoughts on 
the way the first round went, Joe, anything there that Justin didn't touch upon that you would like to hit on in terms of surprises, disappointments, things that caught you off guard? Hey, I, I, I just wanted to touch on what he brought up with Pittsburgh. I totally don't understand. They brought in Morgan Burnett. They brought in J.J. Wilcox. They have Sean Davis. You didn't need a safety unless you're really, you know, they beef him up and make him into that uh, sub-package linebacker. If that's the plan, fine. But Vince Williams, John Bostick, Kyler Matakavich, that's a whole lot of slow at linebacker. And if your middle linebackers are slow, your whole defense is just going to play slow. So I, I, yeah, that's a head-scratcher by the Steelers, who are usually just so sound with their reasoning and, and, and their plans. Uh, I'm still very confused with them. And then I think the uh, first-round takeaway, Eli Manning won this first round. I mean, let's just rewind back to November. He's crying in the locker room after getting benched. Jason Pierre-Paul is hooting and hollering. Uh, life is over as we know it. Now today... Uh, handing the ball off to Saquon, a new lease on life. Odell's uh, still intact uh, with the team. I, yeah, I think Eli, uh, the, the whole new narrative behind Mr. Manning there. And then just, I know we're going to go into quarterbacks, but yeah, to segue, I just, I'm so happy Sam Darnold's not a Brown. They can have Baker Mayfield. I think this would be much better for him uh, being a Jet. I'm, I'm, I don't know if it's a huge improvement, but I don't know. Cleveland just strikes me as where good quarterback prospect go to die. So at least Darnold has a shot now. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know that he's going to start year one here, but uh, sitting behind a pro like McCown, I think you could end up in a lot worse landing spots. He's going to learn a lot from Josh, in my opinion. So I think it's just a good thing for Sam. Uh, he kind of avoids the whole Lake Erie area. <laughs> Staying far away from that mistake by the lake is Sam Darnold. And you mentioned JPP, Joe, there in, in passing. And I, I have to mention, you know, Vita Vey for Tampa Bay, uh, you throw him inside next to Gerald McCoy, JPP, and, and Benny Curry on the outside. I mean, I don't know if there's going to be a more explosive <laughs> – I mean, quarterbacks are going to lose sleep the night before playing Tampa Bay with this defensive front. Um, but, yeah, before we get to the quarterbacks, that was Joe Everett. I'm going to go over to John for his uh, final take on first round. Head scratchers, surprises, things that you like, things that caught you off guard there, John, in the first round. Yeah, you know, I agree on the Steeler one. You know, even if their plan is to, you know, hope that he can continue to beef up and kind of play that linebacker spot, even if it's a temporary, you know, solution. And then maybe in a year, you know, if everything ever went the right way for Shazier, you know, they have a guy that then the rest of his career can drop back to safety. You know, was he a guy that because of his workout numbers could go, you know, I would have thought more second, third round, even with those great numbers, you know, because he did have a shortened season, uh, you know, so that was kind of a head scratcher. I get what Seattle wants, you know, instead of they've tried to use, you know, nine different running backs on an active game roster to, you know, to formulate a running game. They rate this guy as, you know, the number two back in the whole draft with the combination of reasons behind it, you know, with with kind of the lack of picks and the, and the number of things that they need to, to improve upon. You know, again, is that the best, you know, road to take, you know, with things? And then I think, you know, if you're a Packer fan, you've got to be impressed by not only, you know, manipulating the draft to get – you know, a, a player that very much fits a need for them, and especially in that division, 
you know, with the guys that they're playing against and the things that they've struggled with. But to know that, that you have a new G, young GM who is confident enough with that part of the decision-making process to move around to get something of, ex, you know, excellent value uh, and then to still turn around and get one of their top-rated guys, uh, I think that shows very well because if you can look back, you know, and the Niners, you know, struggled after going to the Super Bowl – but if you look in those first couple of drafts, that's what Trent Balky did very, very, very well for the 49ers. You took a road scout who then manipulated his way up the food chain to being a GM who knew exactly what he thought about the football stuff and then knew comfortably how to sit in that chair and make those decisions to move up and down the draft. And that's how the Niners built that roster that got him to the Super Bowl. And I think that's a very similar combination of things that you're seeing with, you know, good, good, you know, yesterday, you know, doing the same thing that John Schneider did in Seattle, the same thing that Trent Balky has done uh, successfully when he was with the Niners. So I think if you're a Packer fan, you got to be excited about the direction uh, of changing that team from being sort of the old school version, you know, of how they drafted and signed and developed players to kind of this new school direction that they've taken uh, you know, with this hiring, uh, you know, to end up, like I said, in, in I think, very good position. And then I think if, if you're in the belief that the Colts are saying, if we have Andrew Luck, then we have a chance to be competitive. If we don't have Andrew Luck, it's probably another really long season. Explains a lot of why not to trade out of that spot yesterday and take Nelson and why once you're able to manipulate and have three second rounders, maybe just take the best players you can so that if, God forbid, Andrew Luck really can ever play again, you haven't hemorrhaged yourself, you know, just to prepare for a season as if he is back to full strength. And if he is, well, now can you imagine if they come back today and add a running back, add another weapon, add a pass rusher, you know, or another, you know, guy in their secondary. If they come out of this, you know, second round with three more guys, they're in a good position long-term if luck is down, and they could be in really good position to flip back around and be a real playoff contender if Andrew Luck is back, and now you've added four players in the top 40, 45 picks. Yeah, Indianapolis with four picks tonight, including two of the top five picks in uh, the second round. to start that off there, and we're going to talk about how we think the – Second round is going to shake it, shake it up, shake it out. Uh, Cleveland and Indianapolis, you know, own four of the first five selections along there with the Giants at 34. Uh, we'll forecast how we think those picks will project. But first, we got to put a little ribbon on this first round. You know, every show you listen to starts off with the quarterbacks. We like to be diverse here at the NFL Draft Bible and, you know, watching the draft coverage on the television tube for the first time in about 18 years, it's it's pretty brutal. It's pretty bad. Uh, but we're here to rescue you. So, hey, buckle up, everybody. It's double chin strap kind of day. Uh, Rick Saratella here along with John Murphy, Joe Everett, Justin Gamble, breaking it down for the people. That's what we do. You'll log on to NFLDraftBible.com right now. You'll find the NFL Draft Bible headquarters. We've got our top 600 big board tracker, and you can track the live results of who's going where, who's the best available players are. We've also laid out 
the best available players for day two. We've ranked our top ten offensive and defensive players uh, heading into tonight. And, of course, uh, we've got all kinds of great content up there, scouting reports, player interviews. Follow us uh, along on Twitter, at NFL Draft Bible. But it's time to talk some quarterbacks. And for me, I have no problem saying Josh Rosen really is the biggest winner <laughs> of, of the night. And, yeah, he's pissed off. You know, three quarterbacks went ahead of him, whatever the case may be. But he fell into a situation where he is going to thrive. He is going to thrive, and he is going to make Arizona a contender sooner rather than later. He is my best player in this year's draft. I've been on record to say that. If, you, uh, if you're a fan of the show, you've been listening to us, then you already know I'm not going to beat a dead horse. But, gentlemen, five quarterbacks selected there in the first round. Uh, which quarterback do you think – is in the best position to succeed. Now, obviously, I think it's Josh Rosen, but I think, you know, I could probably ask each and one of each and every one of you who you think will be the best quarterback or, or is in the best situation to succeed, and we might get a different answer from all of you. So I'm curious to hear your responses, and I'll uh, turn it over to Joe Everett and start with you first. Well, uh, year one, I think it's clearly Rosen. Uh, he steps in. Uh, Bradford gets hurt by uh, preseason game two. I don't know. Mike <laughs> Glennon trips and falls in his shower. So, yeah, it's Rosen's the guy. I think if you're looking at that quarterback room, all due respect to Alex Torgerson or I think Brand, Brandon Dowdy's still on that roster. But the, the surrounding cast is uh, pretty good, honestly. They pick up Justin Pugh. You got Ian Potty. They uh, picked up the fifth-year option on Humphreys. Belt here's the right tackle. I mean, it's a, that, that that you could have worse lines, uh, worse receivers too. Because I know Fitzgerald may be in the twilight, but uh, you know, rewind back to last year. If Chad Williams has his head screwed on right, uh, that that guy and Rosen could make some sweet music there together. So I think yeah, year one, he's the one with the most chance there to just jump in and I think have some success. And, yes, as far as the quarterbacks, this is probably the better environment for him. Um, I still do think, though, like down the line, I'm I'm going with Sam. I mean, uh, the, the years from now, we're going to be looking at this draft like, wow, Darnold wasn't the first one off the board. How did that happen? But, uh, yeah, I, I do have to agree with you, though, Rick. This is As far as landing spots, Rosen couldn't ask for better. The Cards really, another team, I think, kind of let the board fall to them, made the trade when they had to, and, uh, yeah, that's going to be a nice marriage there. I think Rosen uh, is in a real good spot to succeed. Well, Joe, I'm I'm glad I'm bringing you back to the other side because we've been divided pretty clearly <laughs> with the Darnold and, and Rosen controversy. So it's it's great to get that uh, perspective from you there, sir. Uh, I'm moving and grooving over it on to Justin. Hey, Joe gave us the short-term, long-term perspective, Justin. I mean, who, who, which quarterback of these five selected in the first round uh, has the best opportunity to succeed, both short-term and long-term? And you could have different answers. I mean, I'm with you, buddy. I, it's, Rosen is with not only a, a solid roster, but he's in the dome. He's got the, you know, the weather's not going to play a factor in his home games. 
He's got Mike McCoy as his offensive coordinator. And you know McCoy is absolutely, you know, smiling ear to ear. He's had to deal with Tim Tebow. Uh, he's had to deal with all the Broncos crap for years, and he's, you know, moved around. He finally gets Josh Rosen. And, you, and, you know, McCoy is a younger kind of guy. He's gonna me- I think he's going to mesh well with Josh Rosen, first of all. And I think they're going to be those the, the duo that really understands each other and understands each other's strengths. And I think he's going to love that Rosen is the guy that's going to ask him, hey, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? What can we do to improve on this? It, it, it looks to me like it might be that kind of Drew Brees, Sean Payton relationship where they're not coach and player, but more, you know, colleagues that want to win together. And I think that's it's just a great fit. And you know Bradford's getting hurt, you know, weekly. I mean, I'm already counting the, the hours till Bradford sprains his ankle doing God knows what yard work or something. So Rosen's going to get his shot earlier than we think. And I like Darnold. I like that he's got a defense that's on his way up to being pretty special. And we saw last year, even with a bunch of rookies, the Jets' defense was no joke. And I think they're only building and getting better, and we'll see that through the rest of today and tomorrow that they can add some more pieces. But he's also got a solid offensive line. He's got some solid weapons out there that are still developing, and our Darius Stewart, Chad Hansen, Quincy Inunua, um, you know, They're building a, a pretty solid thing over there in New York. So I like that. Bit. The, the guy I feel worse for is Josh Allen because he's got a struggling defense that no one really knows there's the state of that defense. You know, it's, it's missing pieces here and there. It looks like it's kind of on his way down. And then his top receiver is Zay Jones, and, you know, no disrespect to anything that's going on with Zay Jones, but we don't know what his situation is. We don't know if he's coming back or what that whole thing looks like. And behind him, you got Kelvin Benjamin, who should have never been a first-round pick, let alone – I mean, he's hardly a guy that I would call a quality NFL receiver by any means. So, you know, Josh Allen goes from the you know Wyoming team where he's playing with subpar receivers who can barely get any separation, who are slow – and, you know, an offensive line that can hardly protect him. Well, well, guess what, Josh Allen? You got some more slow receivers that you're not going to see open a whole lot, and you're going to have to improvise, and your completion percentage probably ain't going to be that great. So here's Wyoming number two. It just feels like he went to a spot where they are not ready for him. And if any team – there's this is the team where I feel like it's – they're not ready to let him thrive, and he's not getting put in a situation where they're going to allow, you know, they can kind of make everyone else around him do the work and let him catch up, like Baker, Mayfield in Cleveland, or even Darnold in, you know, New York. It feels like Josh Allen's going to be asked to be the guy right away. Um, and I, I just I wish that wasn't the case because I want to see the kids succeed, but I really feel like Darnold and Rosen are the two where – I'm confident they're going to be good players right now, and I'm confident they're going to be good down the road because it looks like their organizations are doing their best to put them in the right spot to succeed. Well, you know, Josh Allen and, and uh, A.J. McCarron is definitely going to be one of the quarterback battles to watch for in, in the training camp. And, you know, just playing devil's advocate here, I mean, Josh Allen is getting drafted to a playoff team. The Buffalo Bills did make the playoffs. So, I mean, there is something to work with there. Uh, John, I'll turn it over to you on on your thoughts in terms of what quarterback is in the best position to succeed. But I think it's funny because, you know, uh, Josh Rosen was criticized for his quote-unquote maybe personality. And then, you know, we talk about, 
you know, Baker Mayfield, hey, maybe the Hollywood, maybe he knew he was going number one to Cleveland. Maybe that's why he wanted those first first class upgrades. But, you know, between the, the Baker Mayfield personality and then, you know, the Josh Allen tweets coming out just hours before the draft, it seemed to me uh, there was more concerns with those two guys, in my opinion, than there was with Josh Rosen. Again, I'm on record for Rosen. We've heard, you know, Justin and, and Joe's thoughts. Your thoughts, John, in terms of quarterback, best quarterback to succeed, five taken there in the first round. Well, I think if you if you just see what they said, I mean, I, I, right now when you're saying waiting for Sam Bradford to get hurt, it's more of a question of waiting for him to get healthy. He's not healthy right now, so the the competition, if camp were starting anytime soon, which it is, would seem more like it's you know Rosen until Mike Glennon proves that he can do it, which is going to be the first preseason game. You know, and, and when you look at what the current product is in terms of, okay, you know, Shady McCoy, David Johnson, the Bills, you know, maybe Kelvin Benjamin, but not a real proven, you know, commodity there, whereas you still have Fitzgerald, you know, in the building, you know, out there, and you still have the makeup of a, you know, a defense that's, you know, uh, for the most part played well, even with the changes the last two years. You know, Mike McCoy, okay, not a good head coach, very good proven quarterback and offensive coordinator. I think Rosen short-term, because the weapons that he has there to say, top three running back in David Johnson, still, you know, a, a very sound, solid veteran receiver, you know, in Fitzgerald, likely to add a weapon here, you know, early on day two probably has the best chance to go in and if he's thrown into the mix have a you know a better start to his career whereas you would have some worry that if it is a year or two with Josh Allen what's left of Shady McCoy at that point you know in time uh when you look at Darnold you'd have to admit that they're going to have to now start building around Darnold but you know it's not like it's a home you know it's Isaiah Crow you know Crowell you know, is that the guy that you're, you know, is that the foundation of your run game? Where are the weapons, you know, for him? Those guys are 2019 and 2020 draft, you know, selections for the Jets. So that's still a a work in progress to what is going to be around him when it's his turn to, t- you know, to take the wheel there. And that's why as much as it looks as if, hey, yeah, you there's other guys there you could have taken. There's there's plenty of moves you could have made. Maybe the Jets, if Darnold and, and Mayfield are on the board at three, they take Darnold, you still get Mayfield at four. You know, hey, in two years, you know, if you have, you know, Jarvis Landry and you have, you know, Josh Gordon, who's currently on the right path, and you have what they have, you know, at tight end, and now you look at the picks that are going to be made you know, here in the next two days, there's a significant chance that the best roster in terms of the youth that they're going to have and who might be available when that guy is getting on the field, that you could make the argument that the Browns are going to have better guys around Baker Mayfield sooner because they're already going to have played a year or two in a system that he's migrating into. Whereas, like I said, with the Jets, with the Buffalo Bills, especially with the Ravens, you know, where are those guys on their roster that are going to be there 
when these guys take over and play. So to me, Rosen has a great opportunity because the roster, you know, is you know the offensive line is still a little suspect, which would worry you because he's not exactly the most elite when it comes to mobility and escapability in the pocket. I think you have to start, you know, improving the tackle spots, you know, for them especially. But he has the weapons, and he has a guy like David Johnson to help, you know, get him out of it in the first couple of years and to lean on him, you know, while Josh, you know, kind of comes into form. And I think you very much like the factor of, look what, you know, again, McCoy, not as a head coach, but the work he did in Denver, the work he did with Phillip Rivers, and now getting his hands on a guy that's very similar I think Rosen has a very good shot immediately, but that, hey, you could make the argument that especially after this weekend is over with, the young talent that Cleveland could have with the picks that they currently possess will put Baker Mayfield with a much better roster around him sooner, whereas the Jets and the Bills, this is, a, this is now a startup, right? You remember the, you know, the Giants did not exactly have a who's who around Eli Manning when they initially drafted Manning. It was then draft Manning, redo the offensive line, now try to get him, you know, uh, some weapons around him. You know, it was a building process. And I think the Jets and the Bills, who have now given up a substantial amount of draft capital this year and next year to get those quarterbacks, are now going to have to start that whole process of what every team is doing, which is they're starting the you know, put weapons around him. You get Garoppolo, and all of a sudden you start adding weapons and you start signing free agents that way, which I think, you know, that's a future conversation, but that's where the Jets and the Bills are going to have to prove themselves from this point moving forward is great. Now you got that guy in the building, but what are you going to do with him and how are you going to surround him with things? Because you go and one take one step in the other direction. 41-year-old, greatest quarterback in the league, and what do the New England Patriots do in the first two days? Okay, Gronkowski says, I'm coming back. Add yourself a real weapon out of the backfield, you know, to make up for the guys you've lost the last two years, especially Deion Lewis, which Sony Michelle looks very much like, that type of guy. And then draft a guy that could probably play left tackle, left guard, right guard, or right tackle. And then trade for a very good, if healthy, a very good pass-blocking offensive tackle in Trent Brown, Trent, uh, you know, and now you look at their situation and it starts looking a lot better, you know, than it did during the off season because, okay, Amendola leaves, but here comes Edelman back from an injury. You know, we let some other guys go in free agency, but, hey, Malcolm Mitchell's coming back off of injury a year later. We re-signed Burkhead. We put Sony Michelle in the backfield. We now get some younger tackles and Antonio Garcia, who I believe they took in the second or third round last year, is now healthy from a non-football injury. They're probably more athletic in the offensive line. They're certainly not as veteran as they were, but you'd have to believe if you stuck Trenton Brown or you stuck Isaiah Wynn out there to block at the end of that game, you certainly would think that the Patriots had a much better opportunity than with the two tackles they had at the end of the Super Bowl. So you can see there's two different directions there. But it's, an, it's the number one thing is once you draft that number one guy, and he is your quarterback, and that's what you're building your franchise around, all of a sudden you have to have offensive linemen, you have to start drafting weapons, and you have to spend a lot of your cap and resources on the offensive side of the ball. And that's where the Jets have a lot of 
their stuff on defense. And the Bills have, have spent a lot of money trying to mimic other clubs drafting and, and signing defensive players to stop, you know, the Patriots, to stop, you know, the Dolphins, to stop, you know, the, you know, get themselves in position to win those tough games in the fall. It'll be very interesting to see now with Josh Allen under center, what do they do to start turning the tide from being a defensive and run team to being a semi-pass-oriented team at some point because you don't trade up to take the biggest arm in the draft, the guy with all this upside, this the guy with all this overhead projection that you're doing to then say we plan on thinking and dunking the ball for 15 or 20 times and handing it off 25 or 30 times. At some point, the Buffalo Bills offense is going to look very different than it does today. Well, that's a great lead-in to uh, breaking into the day two projections, and we're going to do that in just a second. But I want to let you know today's show is brought to you by Pressure Sports, com. Check those guys out. They're uh, gearing us up for on-location across the nation, providing the NFL Draft Bible with uh, casual, comfortable, athletic clothing lines. So check them out, the Pressure Sportswear folks. And uh, we've got John, uh, John Murphy, assistant GM, director of player personnel for Saskatchewan Rough Riders, of course, an original NFL draft Bible familia. We've got uh, Joe Everett, our executive director of college football scouting here at the NFL draft Bible, Justin Gamble, our co-director of scouting here at the NFL draft Bible, along with me, the RIC. How can you get sick of us, man? We're just breaking it down for the people here at the NFL draft Bible.com bringing you the names you need to know first since 2002. It's what we do, baby. Make sure you check us out on Twitterverse, at NFL Draft Bible. A lot of good back-and-forth dialogue with all of these guys. And, John, you mentioned uh, day two, what we should do. I'm going to stick it right there with you. We uh, talked about Cleveland and Indianapolis, four of the first five picks off the board for the second round. The Giants there at 34 do not need a quarterback, neither do, does Cleveland or Indianapolis. How does this shake out? You know, we've seen in, in, uh, since we've shifted the format here, making uh, round one its own individual day, we've seen with the night to sleep on, we've seen trade negotiations, uh, players that have slide to day two, teams moving up, uh, that number 33 overall pick becoming very valuable. We've seen a lot of trades there in previous years, and whether it's Cleveland at 33, the Giants at 34, or the Colts at 36, does a team like Denver, uh, or uh, who's picking 40, or a team like the Dolphins at 42, is Mason Rudolph worth trading up there and, and, and worth going up and get because all these quarterbacks have come off the board? Or does Cleveland stand pat? Joe Thomas retired. Connor Williams is still there. You talked about protecting your, your your new commodity, the franchise quarterback? Do they go and get a guy like Connor Williams to protect uh, Baker Mayfield? Uh, how do you see this second round, especially there at the top, shaking out, John? Yeah, I think if, if the Browns are interested in what you just said, hey, offensive line, here's an opportunity or here's, you know, here's a spot where we want to take one, I would feel pretty comfortable that, if the Giants are picking one at 34, it's probably Will Hernan. You know, like it's probably an interior guy that they, you know, that they feel okay with what they have. They would probably go with an interior guy. 
at that spot. And if you're Cleveland and you can get overwhelmed, you know, it might not be, you know, the worst case scenario because I think you would then get your top rated tackle, you know, at 35. I think if you're looking at the Giants, you know, it's like I said, I think it's probably, you know, a good shot of an interior, you know, lineman. If not, they could go, you know, to try to add another pass rusher to replace JPP. But I think that's where I would project the Giants if I'm Cleveland. So if I get overwhelmed, I'm cool with it. If not, I think I take best available at 33, just in case the Giants were to get overwhelmed and make a trade back, and then come back at 35 and take you know the offensive lineman, you know at that stage of things. Again, the Colts, you know, hey, I'm taking, I'm taking the best players I can get unless somebody is just handing me uh, a trade that I can't you know get you know get away from. At 38, I think the same thing. Tampa Bay, you make your move, you know, but you take Vita Vea over, you know, the DBs that are available. I think at that point, you know, it's got to be a DB, you know, for all intents and purposes, unless they really rate one of these running backs that's still on the board as being a, you know, their number two or three guy. You know, if they see that guy, well, then I could see it, but I would think that that would be the case. I think if I'm Denver, if I want a quarterback – you know, and Giants, you know, Cleveland, Colts twice, Tampa Bay, Chicago. You know, again, the only way the Colts are taking one is if you're deathly afraid that Andrew Luck has no career, like there's nothing left, and you want a guy to team with Brissette and, and have yourself two quarterbacks, you know, for the long run. I don't think there's a club sitting currently in front of them that's just going to, you know, take a quarterback at that point in front of them unless – you know, you saw Miami's at 42, New England's at 43. You know, could one of those two teams look to make a move up, you know, to go get a guy and try and get above Denver? But, again, if you're Denver and you do that, what are you saying to yourself and what are you saying to Paxton Lynch? You're clearly then saying he's a, he's not a guy. You know, so I think, you know, in this scenario, I don't see them, you know, being at that stage yet to say, you know, that he's not a guy. And then I think the other interesting points will be, does Seattle now, you know, just say, hey, we tried our damnedest to get a first-round pick for Earl Thomas. We'll take the best available trade we can get for him. Uh, you know, do the you know I, can't, I can't think that the Giants, especially now that the Trent Brown trade has gone through, so he's probably the best guy that was available. Are the Giants going to try to get something, you know, I mean, for, for the turnstile that they had at left tackle? I don't see him going to training camp with the Giants. You know, so at some point you would think that there's a possibility there uh, of him being moved for, you know, maybe a fourth or fifth round pick, and that's going to be pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that that's, you know, I think that first part of the, you know, of the second round are clubs that are, they're all in very interesting scenarios for themselves. You know, Cleveland and, and the Colts are trying to get up, you know, out of these type of top ten spots. The Giants are feeling like they can be contenders, you know, next year. Definitely Tampa Bay feels that a lot of things went wrong last year. The Bears feel like with Trubisky they're on a fast track. And you know that Denver and Oakland do not feel like they'll be drafting in the top ten again. So it's very a very interesting scenario if you want to see trades – in the early part of the second day, I think it's going to cost you more, you know, than it did with some of those trades late first day, because now you're looking at clubs that have a very firm direction on where they're headed to, 
and this is not a draft that a lot of teams feel that the upper tier guys that is, is there somebody that's really worth you know dealing for versus sitting there and taking and letting the draft kind of come to you. Yeah, some names that could be on the move in addition to the draft picks, as John mentioned, Eric Flowers from the Giants, Earl Thomas from the Seahawks. Could they get dealt today? But, uh, you know, Joe, we heard yesterday Denver possibly trying to trade up to that number two pick to get a quarterback. Elway saying, no, 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 that's that's just hearsay. But uh, I'm looking at Denver. I'm looking at Miami. I'm Like John said, even New England – does a Mason Rudolph fit the mold where they got to go up and get him at number 33? Or how do you see the, the top of the second round shaking out? You're there in Indianapolis as well, who picks 36 and 37. What do they do? Break it down for us. I think Cleveland, yeah, they're sitting right kind of where they want to be. I mean, they could get Mo Hurst. They could pick up uh, Landry, get a pass rusher that they – maybe opted not to get yesterday. And then uh, I think the Giants, the same thing. They're kind of they're kind of looking for a pass rusher there too. And the Colts, I'm, I'm thinking one of those picks got to be a wide receiver and a big physical one at that. Uh, losing Moncrief, we got a lot of guys with not a lot of size. And if it does end up being Brissett, you want somebody that can win one-on-ones and jump balls and kind of make up for his zip code accuracy, I think. So, uh, yeah, one of those might be a receiver. And I think, honestly, you guys are probably hit the – I don't know that Mason Rudolph's the guy you have to trade up for, but uh, if a team's going to do it, I'd, I'd be calling Indianapolis with those back-to-back picks. They're all about acquiring more assets and trading down, which is what they should be. I mean, that's the easiest draft question to answer this whole season. What do the Colts need? Everything, every everything except for safety. I mean, that's that's pretty much sums them up. So if there's a candidate to trade down, it would be Indy, I think. And I, I honestly believe Cleveland needs those picks. Uh, you know, if, man, if one of those was Sam Hubbard, you add that to the mix, that'd be pretty exciting. But I think um, of, of any of those three teams that might need a quarter, New England makes the most sense. Uh, I think Rudolph would probably fit in there. Uh, with that scheme, get coached up by some of the best. Uh, but whereas Miami, I don't know, man. That's uh, that's a tough landing spot there, and what exactly is going on there? Direction the team's in. I think um, I don't know that the team's really gonna trade up for him. I, I, but yeah, if I had to pick one of these three, I think I think New England ends up with uh, Rudolph. That'd be uh, it. Makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Well, Justin, I'm not going to ask you about a team trading up for Mason Rudolph because I know you would never do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you hear you hear Joe say, hey, New England, they kind of need everything. I'm listening to Joe talk. It, it sounds like Cortland Sutton would make a lot of sense there. But also, you know, a running back, too. I mean, you can't have Marlon Mack as your feature back, can you? I mean, carry on Johnson, Nick Chubb, maybe those guys are candidates there for the Colts. But, again – Cleveland at 33, and also at 35, they obviously have a lot of draft equity. Do they continue to stockpile some picks here? Or, like John said, you know, hey, we need an old lineman uh, to protect Baker Mayfield. We know the Giants are going to select an old lineman at 34 most likely. Do they run the risk of of trading out of 33 and settling for, you know, uh, an old lineman after the Giants at 35? How do you see this top of the second round breaking down? 
You know, I don't think if you if you ask yourself or if you say, you know, we have four picks in the top thirty five players overall, that you should be able to say we're gonna get four starters, no matter what. We're gonna get four hands down guys that can come in and be starting caliber players. I don't think they need to move I don't think they should move. I don't think they need to move. Stay where you're at. Take two more starters. You add four starters in the top thirty five picks to an already, you know, ascending roster with youth and speed and talent. I don't I, I, I hope that they just take the best guys available. Take Austin Corbett, take Will Hernandez, take uh, you know, any James Daniels, take any of these offensive linemen to come in and give you some youth and versatility, guys that can play multiple spots. I mean, Geis is still on the board. You know, you said at Cortland Sutton. There's so many players all around. If they want to go defense, there's Mo Hurst, there's B.J. Hill. Um, depends what they're looking for. But I just think as Cleveland, you just stay put. Don't even entertain any trades. I mean, why would you entertain more trades for more picks when you already got four in the top 35? You did it. You already did it. You're there. So just take your best guys. Um, you know, let the board fall to you. Let the take your first pick. Let your take whoever they're going to take, and then take your next best guy. Um, and then you know, Indianapolis is sitting there, sitting pretty too, because I think 36, 37. Again, they're going to get two starters. Add some youth to the defense. Pick a corner. Pick another safety. Pick Ronnie Harrison to put next to Malik Hooker. Um, a guy that's super versatile. We saw at Bama. He played too high. He played single high. He played linebacker. He did it all. And that's what that defense needs to play in their division, especially when, you know, Deshaun Watson coming back healthy next year. They're, they need some speed. They need some versatility. Um, and I think the Colts, I like where they're sitting. I don't see a lot of teams trading. Like John said, it's going to take a lot to get up here into the second round. It's going to be kind of risky and kind of funky, if you ask me. But um, Mason Rudolph, I, I kind of feel like the Dolphins might be where he's headed. And I think Mike White – would fit more of what Belichick is looking for at 43. You know, a tall guy kind of stands in the pocket like Brady. He's not – I'm not saying he's like Brady, but he's kind of of that mold. He's got a solid arm. He's great in the intermediate levels. He's great in the short game. Um, smart kid. But, again, live arm. I think if they're going to go quarterback, Mike White, Mike White might be the guy they're targeting. But, you know, day two is tough to read Belichick because we've seen in the past he'll take guys that are well, you know, or well above – they're ranked much higher on his board than others. We saw that with Jordan Richards out of Stanford in the second round, and that same year he took Geno Grissom in the third round. And neither of those picks made sense to us. I think everyone was scratching their heads, but, you know, Belichick seemed to have a plan with them. Neither of those picks have panned out, if we're going to be honest with each other, but he did it. And so I honestly can't predict what Belichick's going to do. I think there's so many good starters at corner. There's so many good starters at the interior line. Um, but I don't know – what he's going to do. They do have the pass rusher they drafted last year, Rivers, who's an explosive kid, um, a good athlete, and he'll come back healthy this year, so that'll be interesting to see if they do add pass rusher because they did grab Weiss and Rivers last year. But, um, you know, and then the Raiders at 41. I'm looking at the Raiders thinking you better take someone on defense. Your defense is what's really holding you back right now. You got your tackle yesterday. Take a corner, take a linebacker today. Um, you know, again, Add speed and versatility to an off to a division where you're going to be playing Denver, who looks revamped. You're going to play the Chiefs with Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins and Travis Kelsey. I, I, I think today is when you'll see Justin Reed and Ronnie Harrison go real early because those are matchup guys who are also big athletes and physical. And um, 
there's I just don't there's no way those guys slide any further. But I don't I don't foresee a lot of trades today in the second round. I don't see a lot of teams moving around. I think the board is just going to fall, and these teams are going to stay put and take their guys. Well, with that being said, I'm curious to know who you guys have number one on your draft board if you are the Cleveland Browns and you were standing put, regardless of team need, because they do need just about everything there uh, for the most part. But, you know, I hear you guys talk and throw some names around. Maurice Hurst, hey, maybe he's the best player on film, but he could go 33, he could go 133. I'm curious to know your top offensive and your top defensive player on the board as we speak right now. For me, you know, it's Dallas Godert, the South Dakota State tight end. I think this guy is going to be a playmaker. I, I have him rated higher than Adam Shaheen, who went, I think, 18th or 19th overall last year. He's still sitting out there for a team to pluck. And then, you know, Harold Landry obviously battled some injuries there this past season for Boston College. But when I take a look at the whole body of work, the entire resume and the production, his ability on the edge, his ability to bend, his technique, his hand combat, I mean, to me, I'm just, you know, I don't care. I know, uh, what is it, Emmanuel Agba they got over there or something opposite of Garrett Miles. I'm sorry. Harold Landry is a better player, in my opinion. Uh, I might just do somersaults up there to the podium to select him. But I'm curious to know, personally, on your big board, who you guys have ranked as top offensive and defensive players going into day two. We'll keep it right there with you, Justin, and go right back to you. I think on offense right now, you got to think Darius Geis looks like a locked first-rounder. Darius Geis is still on the board. Cortland Sutton is still on the board. And a lot of teams were, you know, we heard the buzz early in the process saying, you know, he won't fall out of the top ten. Well, he did, but he, and he's a really good player. And I'm not sure Cleveland needs either of those two guys. But maybe, you know, and that's, and that's the hard part, too, is Cleveland doesn't need those two. I think they need offensive line, and I think if you pair – you're right. If you pair Miles Garrett with Harold Landry, can you imagine playing the playing the Browns, thinking about all right, how are we going to keep our tackles? How are we going to help our tackles block these two absolute you know athletic freak shows? And it's just insane to me that Landry's on the board. I know he had the uh, the shoulder injury, and they said his medicals are what made him slip. But I think for me, Landry is definitely the top guy on my board. Maybe Lorenzo Carter as well out of Georgia big, versatile dude who, I mean, we saw at the combine, the guy's an absolute superhero athletically. So, you know, those two edge guys, pass rushers, and then you got Geis and Sutton at the skill position still on the board. Some teams are going to get lucky getting these first-round talents at a real reasonable price. Joe, it seems like we agree on a lot of the top players that still remain. How do you have it in terms of top offensive and defensive players heading into day two? I'm close to you guys on uh, Harold Landry. I mean, just rewind to 2016. He led the nation in sacks. That's just uh, – I'd like to drop the mic there on that. A couple of them with the, uh, that line they already have. But it, for my money, it's Ronnie Harrison. He's been the top – heck, I got him in my top ten. So I'm I'm pretty crazy uh, about the kid. I think not only is he a leader, a lot of what Justin said, he's played a lot of different aspects of the safety position. Coming from saving scheme, I don't think I don't see why uh, a lot of teams aren't just crazy about him too. Uh, then offense, um, yeah, it's tough. I, it's between Will Hernandez and Godert. 
I, I really like Dallas Scott. I think someone's going to get a, a star in the making. I don't care about his blocking or whatever. I mean, that if what that Jimmy Graham's done, what some of these other tight ends have done, I, I think Dallas could do that. He's just got that kind of mindset. But, yeah, Will Hernandez, I think uh, very similar to what Justin said. That's a missing first-rounder in my books. I think, I don't know, maybe that's a medical we don't know about, but I thought for sure he'd be uh, day one. And, yeah, I would assume a team's going to get a really great value there. Uh, on day two, he should be one of the first players off the board. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Cleveland picking what they need, uh, what they're going to do. I, I would almost say Mo Hurst fits the bill uh, more than anybody left on the board. If I had to predict what 33 is going to be, uh, I, 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 I kind of agree with uh, Justin's thinking there. It's like a lot of the top players here aren't exactly fitting in line with the Brownies' needs. But, um, yeah, I'd ballpark it for Hurst being first off the board. But, yeah, I'm – I'm still pounding the table for Ronnie Harrison. And, man, how many good safeties and DBs are still on the board? Harrison Reed, mm-hmm. my boy Jesse Bates, uh, oh, Josh Jackson. I mean, uh, Carlton Davis. There's a lot of good DBs still left available. So, yeah, Deb, whoever needs some de- de- defense right now is sitting pretty. Yeah, Dante Jackson as well. And uh, I'm, on, I'm on board with the Ronnie Harrison. You know, I don't get it either. I watch his film and – you know, he's a heck of a playmaker there. Uh, hey, Eddie Jackson, another guy, you know, we saw what he did. I think, uh, where was he, with the Bears or the, or, or the Colts or somebody? I mean, all he did Chicago. was make plays. And, yeah, I mean, God, I think, you know, Ronnie Harrison is going to be that guy. And, you know, John, Will Hernandez, to me, while Isaiah Wynn I thought was slightly above – you know, Will Hernandez at the Senior Bowl. I thought they were both highly impressive. I thought Will Hernandez was, you know, maybe a notch below, but he was really neck and neck for the most part. In my opinion, I am surprised he didn't go in the first round. You've heard what Justin and Joe had to say. Any guys there that you agree with, disagree with, how do you see the top offense and defensive players heading into day two? Well, I think the safety stuff is is just now coming off of free agency. If you look, I mean, the, some of the best players are probably, you know, guys that expected to have jobs, you know, by now. Okay, Eric Reed, we all know what that situation, you know, is probably about. But, I mean, the fact Kenny Vaccaro is sitting there, Mike Thomas had to sit there and just take a, a no-frills deal. You know, in all, in a lot of reality, teams are looking at that safety position and saying, hey, you know, those guys are falling. We're getting equal or similar you know, content, you know, and playmaking ability out of guys that normally would have been, you know, probably second or third round picks and teams are coming out of the draft with a a starting safety in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round. Uh, And I think it will be also interesting to see the guys that tested off the charts that don't have, you know, maybe the film that Harrison or Jesse Bates, uh, you know, have. You know, the film, you know, those guys, you know, you have great film against high-level competition. And then there's going to be, a, you know, a subgroup of DBs who at their pro day, you know, tested off the charts and our clubs looking at those guys saying, hey, somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, we are pushing guys, either pushing those guys down that have good film, you know, but, you know, hey, it's not a, you know, the safeties are not going high anymore in free agency or in the drafts. And now you have those late round guys who the film doesn't match, 
you know, their workout numbers, but those guys are being pushed up from undrafted free agents to fourth, fifth, sixth round draft picks. I think you'll continue to see, you know, that happen. Uh, to me, I think, you know, when you're looking at what teams, you know, every team we mention, you're, you know, we basically mention their offensive line. And I think you, you look at Connor Williams, who potentially could play several different positions, you know, the, the same could be said. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever see too many downs at tackle, uh, you know, for the Nevada kid, but, you know, probably a very good guard. Uh, I think the Daniels thing, it has to be that there's some, you know, the medical has to be a little bit of a concern because you're not the youngest and most athletic, you know, potential center. And for his medical to have be more of a risk than Billy Price, who, you know, may miss some part, you know, of mini camps or training camps and, and suffered a real injury right in front of your face there at the combine. I mean, that's a little bit of alarming to wonder exactly what is the medical of James Daniels. I, I think the old school thing with Will Hernandez is, okay, he's just a guard. He's short with shorter than desired arms. So, okay, you know, good, not great athlete. You, you know he's a mauler. You know he's a smart kid. You know what you're going to get you know, that lunch pail performance week in and week out. But I think that's probably what's pushing him more into this 30-40 range, you know, than where some of us had projected him, you know, substantially higher. And I think all of these backs, there's a there's a note on Geis' medical for an ankle. Chubb, we already know, you know, what his was. We already heard what the Patriots said about Sony Michelle last night. Hey, we may only get three to five years out of him. Okay, <laughs> but if his three to five years are, you know, five thousand yards of total offense in that period of time, they they said it was enough to draft him at the end of the first round. I think another one would be, you know, Terrell Crosby. Again, not because of the total talent of the player, but because of the factor that how many legitimate offensive tackles are there that can compete in the next two to three years out of this class you know, to play. And I think he's another guy that probably gets picked higher, you know, here on day two than expected. And then on the flip side, the Landry thing I think has more to do with being the tweener and clubs are certainly getting kind of hyper vigilant when it comes to the tweener aspect of three, four outside backer. He may look like one type player. If you draft him to try to hope that he's that undersized D end who develops enough power to his game, has enough strength not to get pushed all over the place, Maybe then he's in a 4-3, you know, set as well. I think that's why he's, you know, sort of seen his slide a little bit there. I'm going to go in a different direction and say wherever USC's Rasheem Green gets picked, I mean, Danielle Hunter was, I think, 88, you know, overall. So that's a third-round selection, and we've seen what he's turned into. I think Rasheem Green has a chance to be a solid situational pass rusher early who by the time his second contract comes around – could be a guy that, you know, has double-digit, you know, sacks, has probably, you know, morphed into a guy that by his second or third or fourth year is putting up some pretty big pass rush numbers and is somebody that a club is going to get here probably late second or even, you know, third. And like I said, Daniel Hunter, if I'm not mistaken, is a late third-round pick and has turned into a, you know, more than credible pass rusher, you know, in the NFL. So those are kind of the guys that I'm looking at there because it's it's in areas that clubs you can't get enough in any of those positions can't get enough guys to try to play a tackle can't get enough of pass rushers and I think unfortunately when you're in the secondary these days if you're a great cover guy and you're undersized you get pushed down 
if you struggle with your technique and you you fall over your feet, but you run in a straight line at four three, you move up in the draft. And I think the same thing has happened for those safeties that they just man numbers mean more than film at some point at certain positions. And that's why I will be shocked that at some point of this draft, a kid like uh, Tavarius Moore, you know, or per, you know Perry mm-hmm. Nickerson with a clean medical, two guys who tested off the charts are probably going to get selected higher than guys from bigger name schools that have better film, not maybe not better film than Nickerson, but better film in terms against higher level competition because clubs are just looking at the matchup at the next level and saying, hey, these kids can compete physically. Can I teach it to them? Can they learn it? Can I get them on the field at some point? Yes, I can. That's why I won't be surprised if those guys get picked higher than some of the names we're talking about. Tavarius Moore, Southern Mississippi, I believe, uh, one of the most under-publicized players that will probably go in the top 100. And, uh, you know, good thing I checked my Twitter. Apparently I have another radio show to do at 5.35 p.m., which gives us about 10 minutes to play with. So to wrap up the show, I'm going to ask each and one of these guys to give me their hot take of the evening. I want your hot take. For day two of the NFL draft, I'm going to go around the horn in this open roundtable discussion oh, in just a second. But I've been telling you all, listen, like it, share it, subscribe it, spread the word, man. Nobody breaks it down like we do here on the NFL Draft Bible Radio Podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on uh, blogtalkradio.com. Of course, NFLDraftBible.com. You can catch all our broadcasts on the Twitterverse at NFL draft Bible. And, you know, we're, uh, we're breaking it down. We've got the top uh, players available up there on the website here, heading into day two. We've also got the NFL draft headquarters where you can get our uh, ultimate top 600 big board. Yes. Top 600, uh, about 265 guys are going to get drafted or so. So we're breaking it down. The undrafted free agent frenzy for us Day three, the draft, when the draft ends and people exhale, we're exhaling in a different way because it gets scary. It's just really starting. The free agent frenzy is more hectic than the NFL draft and trying to keep tabs with all the players there. So if you're into that kind of stuff, top 600 big board is something for you guys. And uh, we've got a lot of great content up there on the Draft Lab website. We'll be back tomorrow with another podcast i'll huddle up with these guys figure out a time that we could break it down tomorrow and then sunday we're going to recap everything uh i'll be doing a uh a recap show on the jody mack show as well on cbs sports and, and john and i have been doing his show for many many years and uh you know i'll be doing a show here if you're listening live i'll be doing another show apparently at 5:35 p.m uh eastern I, I gotta go back to the twitter and see where that's going to be. But you can follow along all the action. And uh, John John Murphy, uh, assistant GM, director of player personnel for Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Justin Gamble, uh, co-director of uh, college football scouting here at the NFL Draft Bible. Joe Everett, executive director for college football scouting here. And, of course, me, Rick Saratella, breaking it down. Hey, since 2002, it's what we do, baby, bringing you the names you need to know first. So check us out, NFLDraftBible.com. Now it's time for hot takes. I'm on fire over here. Get the fire extinguisher, baby. We're going to go hot take around the horn. It's been a great open roundtable discussion. And, uh, man, if you love the NFL draft, and I don't know how you can't love listening to these guys. So, 
Uh, Justin, I'll start off with you. Give me your hot take here for day two. Evo, on the spot, man. On the spot. Well, I think looking at some of these uh, receivers left on the board, um, and I just looked at NFL.com, and I think they beat me to it, but, you know, Cortland Sutton is this guy that no one expected to drop out of the first round, let alone top 15. But I'm going to say another receiver goes in front of him. I think DJ Chark ends up in front of Cortland Sutton today on day two. I think that size and that speed and the SEC pedigree he has, um, I think a team is going to pounce on him earlier than we think. And I know a lot of media has him pretty low on their boards, but I think this is a top 50 guy with huge potential. I would say, you know, everyone's going to be looking at these wide receiver needy teams saying, here's Sutton, here's Sutton. I would not be shocked if DJ Chark goes in the top, shoot, top 10 picks of this first round or this uh, first part of the second round, and I think he'll be the next guy off the board. Well, you know, all my all my friends in Las Vegas will be very happy with that because they, you know, I got people from Vegas, people not from Vegas, people here in Jersey who are playing the Vegas odds and they want to know what's your best prospect. I all I told them all, DJ Shark over James Washington. That's the prop bet. Who gets drafted first? I think the money line is actually on James Washington. Give me DJ Shark and you know, hey, Christian Kirk, another candidate who could come off the board before Cortland Sutton, though. So there's a two for the price of one hot take right there uh, from Justin Gamble. You can follow him on Twitter at GamScout, G-A-M-S-C-O-U-T. And over to Joe Everett for his day two hot take. Take it away, Joe. Uh, I don't know how much draft the first one is here, but uh, I think Earl Thomas is a cowboy by the end of the day. And then uh, not due to their drafting poorly, but I just get an eerie feeling right now that the Raiders are going to be picking in the top three next year. I I really don't see it. John Gruden rewinding it back to the 90s. Um, I, I really am not buying it. Uh, I'm feeling my Broncos actually winning that division more than anything, but I just I'm just seeing a struggle here upcoming for uh, this new version uh, of the Raiders, and I'm I'm not sold on Colton Miller either. Uh, I think he's got some bad footage out there, uh, and you wonder why Rosen was hit so many times. Well, that's his buddy Colton up there at left tackle. I mean, there's a lot of uh, footage of him getting beat. So, I, I, yeah, I'm just uh, getting a bad feeling. Sorry, Raiders fans. Hit me up on Twitter. Come at me, Joe uh, W. Everett. <laughs> Follow me there. But, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm just uh, – I think I'm sensing bad things for the future of the Raiders and, you know, start studying up on 2019 draft, Brooklyn. Man, a short leash there for John Gruden in Oakland. One, one – uh, Dislikeful pick, and and Joe's ready to throw some dirt onto Chikudin's <laughs> grave over there in the black hole. Uh, definitely appreciate that hot take. And Earl Thomas to the Cowboys just makes too much damn sense. So we'll see. You know, Jerry Jones got twisted in some words yesterday in an interview I saw in terms of discussions for that trade. Uh, over to uh, again Joe W. Every follow him on Twitter. And over to uh, John Murphy, who you can follow on Twitter tonight as well. Draft JM13. Uh, you know, these guys are all the best in the business. John, we've got about two minutes to play with. What's your hot take here heading into day two as we count it down? How many of the picks with the Browns having two, the Colts having three, the Giants having three, the Texans having two, 
how many of those picks end up just being with their own team and how many more trades get made by those teams. Texans 68-98, they may feel they're only one or two players away. Giants, is this just a continuation of adding to what you've already done? And then I'm going to say it makes too much sense that they keep talking about all these other quarterbacks. New England has talked about every single other guy. Talked about Lamar Jackson. Talked about, you know, Rudolph, I think, at the end of the day. They've talked about all these other guys to not talk about Kyle Lauletta. And that just makes too much damn sense for the type of guy and the type of things that they like to do. I wouldn't be shocked if that's the guy that they go at, you know, whether it's with their early second-round pick or if they feel like they can get him at the end of the second. We'll be surprised if that's their thing. And then I think the real hot take is going to be, we're going to find out here real soon in the second round how many of Maurice Hurst, Nick Chubb, James Daniels, you know, the guys that, that have had medical questions, we're going to know tonight, were these really questions or are they legitimate concerns? Because if they're just questions, they come off the board like Van Der did last night to the Cowboys. If they're definite issues that people feel like these are short-term careers or not even that, you're going to see them possibly still available on day three, and that will be tomorrow's hot topic. Well, John, I got to say that is a hot take coming from you and Kyle Lawletta because I know – Joe and myself are a big fan. You and Justin, not so much. But with that being said, I've got uh, this next interview on 730 The Game coming up. I hate to abrupt it at uh, an end, but the Jerry V show is calling. So we'll get back at you tomorrow, everybody. (laughs) Hey, guys, I appreciate everything. We'll talk to you soon. We'll coordinate everything and get this bad boy going. Till the next time, everybody. Nice to see Rick has traded out of our spot. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.